Welcome back to the What'd You Have for Lunch podcast alongside Mo King. I am Chris Fortune, and we got a special guest today, our friend Nick Cavazos. Nick, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I am, hmm, what to say about me? Um, I work in IT, I'm very interested in tech, but also very interested in like the effects of technology on society, which is probably going to tie into something that we we're going to talk about later on. Ooh, um, so, but yeah, I'm a philosophy major. I have an associates in information technology and, you know, people are always kind of like, well, what, like how, how does that relate? And, you know, there's a lot of different angles you can approach that at, um, you know, people are talking about artificial intelligence and how that's going to affect, you know, the job economy and all sorts of business operations and just privacy and you know there's just so many different issues um and really if you're going to make an artificial intelligence you kind of have to understand intelligence in and of itself and that's kind of like been philosophy's game for the past couple thousand years so there's that approach um and just studying kind of like what is the right and wrong way to apply technology to a society like when has it gone too far you know we're coming up with new we're coming up to new points as a society that we've never like really dealt with before um and so yeah th- those are kind of the things that i'm interested in obviously i like video games and like anime and other uh you know nerd stuff like that but um in my free time i tend to spend a lot of time reading books and just like keeping up with like the developments of tech and like again how that's kind of impacting the world as we know it today so that's a little bit about me love that i love that that's like the perfect like who are you what are you response? You know, most people just say, hi, my name's Mo. I'm 24 years old. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Kansas city. I report a co- podcast every once in a while. <laughs> my special <laughs> hidden talent is <laughs> like, that's like what it is. And then you're like, I don't even want to know that guy. You know, <laughs> like first day, first day of school introductions. <laughs> yeah. I've got three brothers, a sister. Kansas. Yeah. And you're like, what? I don't yeah. know anything about that. Right. And that sounds important um, too, but yeah, I think like, you know, I always like those kind of, uh, I, I don't know, questions that kind of lead into somebody really kind of talking about themselves. So I've always tried to approach that in like interviews and just, you know, getting to know people by kind of telling them that. And I think sometimes like that kind of scares people off because like, oh my God, like, you, you know, you're like super into this stuff. But, you know, I wear my heart on my sleeve for better or for worse at times. And I think like just knowing that people kind of get a good sense of who I am right out of the game. And so I like doing that. So Nick, we have to ask you, what did you have for lunch? <laughs> well, it's not that interesting. Um, Cause today I just had Soylent. Um, what? So it's a pre-mixed drink um, that comes in a bottle and it has 400 calories a bottle. And it's got about 20% in each serving of every vitamin you need. Um, and funny enough, the guy who made it worked in Silicon Valley, and he was just like, man, what if I could just, like, automate my diet and not have to, you know, worry about cooking and going to the grocery store and making sure ingredients stay fresh and whatnot. So he developed this formula for a drink, and he called it Soylent. And there's, there's I guess, two different versions of it. There's a powdered version that you just mix into water, um, and then there's the ready to drink, which the ready to drink I was doing for about a year and I lost 60 pounds doing it. Um, oh, wow. and I was just strictly wow. drinking the ready to drink. Now I've switched back to the powdered version and I've gained a bit of weight back, but I'm probably going to go back to the ready to drink just because there's more flavors available. I think there's like seven or eight now, whereas in the powder, there's only two. And so you can kind of get sick of it more quickly. But, um, yeah, honestly, if you use Soylent and you drink a lot of water with it and, you know, you have, like, a nice snack alongside it and you track your calories, like, I think it's probably one of the best ways to lose weight because I think a lot of people's issue with losing weight is kind of just staying into that consistency of, you know, okay, i got to cook this meal, I've got to make sure, you know, the chicken's prepared and i got to make this salad and, like, Ooh, any yeah. kind of, like... I think that's true. Any kind of, you know... I, I don't know. I, I kind of looked at myself and realized how lazy I was. And I was like, I don't have time to cook. And actually, I shouldn't say that. I do have time to cook. I'm just not into the routine of it. So what is, like, the thing that can take into account my current laziness as much as possible and get me to that point? And what I noticed was is after a couple months of doing it, I was very much not 
craving, you know, unhealthy food. Like, I didn't care to run a quick trip. Like, if somebody brought cookies into the office, I was fine. Like, just kind of saying no. Um, and looking into it, I think, like, your gut bacteria kind of adapts over time, long term, after about a month or so. It kind of, your, your physiological cravings go away. And so you're much more, um, I guess, able Con to control your, you know, cravings for unhealthy food. And so I realized that that was kind of necessary and it got me to a point where then I was healthy and you know I was the best shape of my life and it, it was great <laughs> it's pretty wow, cool I love that. yeah I mean I agree I think when you're trying to like diet to lose weight or lose weight or gain weight I think people get like hung up on like what they have to eat to like get there but I think the most part is just like consistency of eating whatever you're going to eat it should be you know it should be like nutritional but you know most of the time it's just going to be a boring meal <laughs> <laughs> if you're like really concerned about what like going up or down it's like you have to meet these nutritional goals to do it so it's like you can either try to come up with variety and then that in itself is going to stress you out just because you're just like i can't cook like this the way that i want to eat so i you just end up going out to eat right or you just have the same thing over and over which is maybe not like fun but it gets you there so that's why right. you should find nutritional things that you like and don't mind eating yeah every single day <laughs> yeah for sure for sure <clears throat> so one of the things that i really would like to talk to you about nick is this you know, antitrust hearing. I watched a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, um, I watched probably about four or five hours of it. And uh, wow. yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think I watched about two or three. I just got done watch, like watching whatever was posted on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like he, it was really interesting. He had four big CEOs in there. You know, Tim Cook, Jeff Bezos, Zuckerberg. and um, Yeah. That yeah. was, um, yeah, yeah. So let's get into it. Like... Essentially, the background that I know is that a House committee got put together sometime within the last year or two to kind of go through a lot of the, you know, I guess stuff in the closet, if you will, that was going on with, um, or the skeletons in the closet, if you will, with that with like all the different tech companies and kind of some of the stuff that they've been caught doing, like, you know, they didn't really address it, but Apple, they've had their... I guess depending on how you want to classify it, a tax evasion or, you know, tax write-off in Ireland and then the European Union, like, find them. You know, Google, I think Google, honestly, after all this today, them and Facebook were probably the two, well, then again, Amazon was kind of, like, being attacked a lot as well. But it seemed like those two in particular, like, Google really got the most heat, and I think, like, rightly so. Um, they've been... You know, there, there's so much that could be said there about Google. My, you know, my perspective on it is, is Google is a dominant search engine that really kind of controls the flow of almost how the whole internet connects to everything else. Um, hmm. I know companies that will go out of their way and hire jobs for people just to like comment on other websites um, to try and like rank up a search result or rank up a website in yeah, Google search true. result algorithm. Um, you know, there's always been Google AdWords and Google AdSense where you can pay a certain amount of money to show up on Google search engine at a higher level, which Correct. is like digital billboardism, which is like fine. But when you realize that there's like one kind of big company, at least behind that end of it, and they own YouTube as well, that's where it does start to get into like monopolistic territory. Um, and I don't know, man, like I, you know, I tell my girlfriend all the time that like, the more that I Google stuff these days, it feels like I don't really get a good answer other than just like ads. So I always add, like whatever topic I'm looking up, I will always add the subject and then space and then Reddit. Because for some reason, Reddit is like the better answer or the better like gateway into the answer that I need than it is if I just do a straight Google search. So. Yeah, well, so for me, I don't know if like, ad targeting is like beneficial for any person like targeting me because I don't <laughs> click on things that say ad or like look like an ad or just like seem fake. So like I 
try to block everything ad. I tweeted this a long time ago, but I was like, adding an ad blocker to my <laughs> browser is like me like protecting my limited free time from being capitalized. <laughs> oh yeah, so, like, basically. I don't like click on ads like in any sense like i will like just stop watching the content if an ad pops up which sucks because like you know i make content too right so it's like it, someone's yeah. gotta like have an ad so even so on I youtube you, you don't watch like you know raid shadow legends pops up and you're like nah <laughs> dog i ain't even about that i'll literally just turn the whole video off i'll just be like you know i don't even like this video is ruined that. oh dang <laughs> that's like every video these days even like you know Pretty much every content creator I watch, you know, they do it. But um, well, yeah. yeah I mean, now it's like they've embedded it into the actual video, so it's like, it's right. like you can't skip it. It's almost like, hi, this is Squarespace, you know. Right. And it's like, I love Squarespace, but doesn't, yeah, like it's in the video. Like you can you can skip it, but then you don't know because it's a new video where you're like gonna actually stop. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just crazy because that's just like one aspect of Google that is kind of messed up. Like, there's a very long history, like um, the two founders, Eric and I always forget the second guy's name. I think it's Sergey, Sergey Brin, I believe. Um, back in 2006, they kind of, or 2007, I think they sold off the company, and that was when they started kind of shifting their ethos and motto towards, you know, oh, we could be so much more of an explosive growth company if we could just, you know, do this advertising thing. And that subtly but not innocently ties into the Android platform. Um, if you notice, their their uh, overall market value exploded after 2007 and 2008, specifically because, you know, they acquired YouTube, they had Google, you know, yeah, they had like Gmail and like other services, Google Drive, but also Android is a big piece of that pie. Um, Eric Schmidt, one of the, I don't know if he's still, he's probably sits on the board of Google, but I don't think he's, used to be their CEO, I believe. Um, but he, you know, he was famous for saying that like the way that they were going to beat the iPhone was they were going to drive the price of Android down so low that anybody could go and afford an Android phone. And it wasn't necessarily the cost of the phone that was going to make the company the money. It was going to be the ad revenue and, you know, the uh, app marketplace revenue sharing from developers that was going to make them the biggest money. So, you know, and then in 2014, 2015, the European Union found out that Google was, you know, manipulating their own search engine to show Android in a better light than iPhone, or they were, I forget exactly what it was, but they were using their own systems to showcase their own products over competitors, which is a huge antitrust violation. Um, like antitrust is the area of law where, you know, if big companies get too out of line, regulations have to come in and say, hey, you guys have too much market power in this market, you know. I mean, you look at Facebook, they own WhatsApp, they own Instagram, Instagram. they own um, all these different platforms. They, you know, kind of dominate a space and so does Google and so does, you know, Amazon's a little bit weirder because they're a retailer in a sense. Um you know, they started as a bookstore, you know, then they sell products online, but also a big part of their business model, probably even bigger, well, a huge part of their backbone is the Amazon Web Services. Um, so if you look up AWS certifications, yes. that is kind of the biggest back end for a lot of web sites and web services. And a lot of people don't know this. If you ever go to a website and you see AWS, it's an Amazon not based website, but it's using their technology. Um, and so, like all these tech companies, they put their, you know, they've got so many different fingers in the, all these different pies. And it's like the regulators need to come in and say, hey, that's, you know, fine if you want to do this or that, but you can't, you know, if you're, if you have a search engine that is then like, you know, the main way that people are looking up information on reviews about stuff and you're actively hiding it, you know, for your own products, that's, you know that's that's a that's manipulation. Um, I think I mean, that's yeah yeah that's a hundred percent true. I don't know if you guys remember, but it was like a I don't I want to say it was like a couple years ago, but it was like Twitter was down, Facebook was down, Instagram was down. It was like Amazon was down. Uh, was Amazon down? I don't know, but um, basically it was like everything was down, and mm -hmm. it was like they briefly like they had a blip, and because like most 
of the internet uses AWS. Um, like most of like the commerce websites that we all know and love and go to use AWS as for hosting. Mm-hmm. Then like when they have a blip, <laughs> it's like everything kind of like shuts down. But yeah. yeah, I mean, AWS is the standard. I mean, I use AWS, um, like I learned in school, I use it um, in my workplace. It is the standard. Um, the best part about it is that they don't really have any downtime, which is what every company wants. You want your server to be up 100% of the time, if possible. Yep. So a lot yep. of them are like, have rankings and so you have like is it a four nine five nines or like six nines is our goal and that means like 99.99999 percent of the time <laughs> it's up so like they have four nines three nines two nines and that's just how many nines behind the decimal because you can never really have a hundred percent but aws is like so close to a hundred percent which is why that they use they're it. so great to use yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, that's that's a huge part of their business model that I don't think a lot of people see because, they, you know, most people, Amazon is kind of just, oh, I go to this website and I click on this thing and I add it to my cart and buy things. And, I mean, there's, you know, I, I, I don't know. Jeff Bezos has always struck me as, like, an intelligent guy. He doesn't seem nefarious like Mark Zuckerberg does. Like, to me, Mark Zuckerberg, <laughs> he's kind of evil. You know, and I was telling my girlfriend, I was like, you go back to some of the old uh, – AIM chat logs that he had with some of his original friends when he was first founding Facebook. And like, I remember when he first started Facebook, he was developing it and one of his friends messaged him and he's come out and said that this is accurate, by the way, you can look this up. But he said, or his friend was like, wait, you got all these people to just join this website and give you all this information, all their photos. And he's like, yeah, they're dumb fucks. Like he literally said that about the very first Facebook users. And you know, going forward, it's like, okay, he can kind of, you know, become a better person and apologize, but that sets the tone for everything that's kind of happened afterwards, and it just makes a whole lot of sense in that kind of view of, like, you know, they were talking about today how Mark Zuckerberg pseudo-threatens the Instagram CEO before Facebook. Yes. Uh, yeah, I remember reading that article yep. when when Instagram was a thing, and then definitely when Snapchat was a thing, that there was, yeah. like, a going back and forth between it and then all of a sudden like instagram kind of comes up with the same exact features yeah yeah i mean that's you know facebook has tried to you know all these all these tech companies do this right they, they look into the future and they look into the present and they say okay we have this you know social network or we have this data set on customers and we have this way to utilize it how else mm. can we diversify? How else can we, you know, create new platforms and new systems? Usually it's not even creating. That's the other thing. Usually it's acquiring or buying them out. Like, you know, and that's, I think, one of the senators or whoever uh, was, that was speaking today, he's like, you know, that's not a fair game when, you know, it's not like, okay, I'm going to come up with a better product and then that's going to go out into the market and compete with this other product. If you just have so much money that you can just buy out the competition, then that leaves you know, especially in this day and age, that leaves small businesses so much more for the worse to be able to, you know, try and innovate. Like I've always, when me and my dad are talking politics, I'm always like, you know, okay, dad, let me go start an internet service provider company and see, you know, how far along I can get before Comcast sues me or Comcast tries to buy me out. You know, they have a, a huge, you know, legion of lawyers that are just like at the ready to just sue you for any kind of patent that they think that they have. Um, you know, or they'll just entice you with a big paycheck, you know, and say, okay, well, we'll just buy you up. And most companies, they see that and they're like, okay, you know, I can leave a, lead a pretty reasonable life after this. So, you know, why not? And that's just kind of like the way the game goes right now. And I think today's event was kind of all about discussing that. Now, I don't really think it got, you know, what, like in, in the grand scheme of things, what was today about, right? Like, and I think today was a good jumping off point to start that conversation because all the other, you know, um, conversations so far that have happened in Congress about this stuff, you go back and watch videos of like Mark Zuckerberg interrogations. Usually they're pressing him pretty hard, but it doesn't seem like all the people that are asking the questions are really that aware of 
the scale yeah. of the issue. We're knowledgeable about it. Um, yeah. Whereas today, it just felt like okay, they're actually like getting, you know, they're getting into the weeds with this stuff, which I think I know a lot of them. Bad. I was like, whoa, that question. I would hate to just like they brought receipts today. Yeah. Well, they try to bring receipts all the they, they some of them really bring like good receipts and they have like really great questions and yeah. other ones like because when i was watching it it kind of felt like people were just going back and forth where like you'd have this one question that's just such a phenomenal question and yeah. really kind of drives the point that there may or may not be like competition being stifled but to, right. like i know with bezos was like the main thing was that like it's a conflict of interest because you're a platform for people to sell on while at the same time competing against those people and oh, yeah. being the role maker of the platform. So, Absolutely. And so like, that was like such a great point. And then like the next, like once the congressman or congresswoman's time runs out, you go to this other person who's talking about like, um, like nothing. It's like, do you block or like censor like, like uh what did he say he was like oh wait do you vow to like not help biden, biden in the campaign yeah. google and it's like what yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like do you do you promise to not like help him out and it's well, like the so person before just got done saying that google or like just got done showing evidence that google and i think the guy uh pichar is his name uh admitted that like Google doesn't target like groups of people. It kind of like individualizes how they market to people yep. and individual people. So it's yep. like, if you just happen to align with Biden, then you might see more Biden stuff, right? Right. Well, well exactly. if you happen to align with the Republican candidate, then you might see more conservative stuff. So it's like, it's not right. really them interfering, but like, you being tracked on the internet and then that being used to like see the stuff that you already wanted to see, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I guess, I guess to me, like, uh, I think that was Mr. Jordan that was talking about that, you know, don't let Biden or he was asking Google CEO to not, or to, to, to endorse Biden or something like that. But I think that's the crux of the problem is that, and I don't think this will be resolved easily. Because, you know, we live in the information age, and a lot of people right. don't take the time to think about what that means. Um, everything that we, you know, partake in politically is usually given to us as information from some kind of digital access point. Mm. And the problem with those digital access points and that flow of information, that flow of information, if you look historically, it has always been controlled by one thing or another, right? So you go back to the medieval times. What was the information that was being given to you? Well, it was about the church and it was about God and, you know, how you should be a good Christian and how you should do this, that, and the other. That was the source of authority that was controlling the information that led to your narrative, your, your life, and how you perceived it to be in the grand scheme of things. Mm. Then we kind of moved away from that in the 18, late 1800s, early 1900s, and then the governments kind of got that power, right? And so it was like, okay, now the governments tell us what is and is not factual, and they're going to tell us, you know, no, Vietnam is a totally just war and there's no corruption going on or no, Watergate wasn't a bad thing. And then we kind of discovered that that flow of information was faulty. So, the, again, this is like such a, like, I don't think it's a problem that can be solved very easily. Like, I don't think, you know, any of these tech companies, I don't think, I mean, some of them are at fault for it, but I think it's just the scope of the problem. The nature of the beast is that, like, you know, technology radically disseminates information at such a crazily fast rate that you know okay we got fact checkers but like is anybody checking the fact checkers or we just know that they're legit right there's there's always going to be some kind of bias yeah like everyone's um, paid by someone so their view has some kind of bias, bias. Right. to it technology like you know it's rapidly evolving and of course it's not going to change like you know in a short period of time because there's still so much that we're learning this is kind of like a new issue you know if that's what you want to call like an issue about right these giant tech companies it's like how do you handle this well and so you mm. look back at the uh, protestant reformation right 
what began the giant overthrowing of the Catholic Church wasn't really anything, you know, political. Well, I guess it kind of was. It was it was the birth of the printing press, right? So like just the ability to public publicly print a book and disseminate it very easily. You know, Martin Luther then went and printed his own copy of the translated version of the Bible. And then all of a sudden you have the overthrow of the Catholic Church. That like led to so much social upheaval because of the printing press, right? You know, so now what does that mean when we have a technology that is beyond that in terms of scale and scope ad infinitum, like, you know, orders of magnitude greater in terms of how quickly it can disseminate narrative. Um, and I think that's ultimately the problem is like, there's so many things going on that, yeah, Twitter or Facebook or whatever, they can clamp down on racist speech. But, you know, you go to other countries, what is qualified as, you know, being a, you know, uh, a bad thing to post might not be. Um, and it just shows that, like, there's always a context around, you know, like, I don't want to say, like, okay, it's, it's good for hate speech to exist. But, like, what is qualified as hate speech is radically different in every single country. So if we have an American company that does it for the rest of the world, that's kind of an imperialist move in and of itself because it says our worldview is the best, therefore we can clamp down. Obviously, you know, we're getting into issues of free speech. We're getting into all sorts of, of weird issues. And then when you study free speech law, usually what it comes down to is you are allowed to say something freely as long as it is not going to um, incite a riot that is very likely going to overthrow the government. That is that is the crux of that law. So, you know, when uh, Alex Jones gets taken off YouTube, you know, he has the right to say what he wants, but this is the interesting paradox, is that it's a privately owned platform. YouTube is privately owned as a company, right? And so the whole conservative argument is, well, you know, if you don't like it, you know, go elsewhere like you know we, as a company like if you don't like what we do we should have the ability to go elsewhere and so it's very ironic when you see conservatives decrying censorship when a lot of this you know a lot of the scale and scope of our tech companies today is because of the fact that we deregulated the markets in the 80s and 90s basically to allow these companies to just suck up you know tax revenue get tax write-offs tax breaks because they're creating wealth you know the direction of that wealth is basically just gone upwards. I don't think it's, you know, the whole trickle down, you know, economic paradigm, the Reaganite administration proposed in Thatcher and the United Kingdom, like all of that has turned out to be totally incorrect. And, you know, and now we're having these social ramifications of it, which is kind of what the left was already talking about as this was all happening. It was like, look guys, we deregulate this. Not only is it just these companies are going to be making tons of money, but they're also going to have this thing called social power where they're going to be literally, you know, like, I go outside, like, I order stuff from Amazon almost every couple days, right? I uh, post things on social media. I do my job through an internet browser that is, like, almost every facet of my life that is digital is corporate as well. And so it's, like, it's very hard to look away and be like, yeah, no, my life isn't just all Google, Apple, Samsung, Facebook, you know, <laughs> Amazon. I think I think what some people would um, argue, like if they like were hearing this, is that like it's just business, or it's, it's just business. It's just business. <laughs> how business works. Um, and so, like, whenever you have something that is like innovative, quote unquote, we're like, let's say, like on like First Street downtown in Hoosville, you know, you have a burger joint. Yeah, and they're doing extremely well. Or you have a laundromat; it doesn't really matter what it is, but like you just have this thing, and then all of a sudden, someone comes in the neighborhood, and they're like, "Yo, why, why is everyone going to this laundromat? Mm -hmm. I, I think I could start a laundromat, and I want to take their like customers, or I want to start a burger joint. They shouldn't be getting all the burger joint like money. I want to start a burger joint." And yeah. so then you just have like this thing where like now they kind of just compete against each other. Like who has the better burgers, who has, if they have similar burgers, what about it's going to be different. And then usually a lot of times it's just price. So then I may just go there cause like the burger's good and it's cheaper. Or I may go there because the burger's a little bit more expensive, but it's right. You know, way go. 
Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, but like, I think the problem with what this meeting was about was like what New York Times called it, it was like their big tobacco moment was that like these tech companies can scale that particular like aspect about business to the nth degree. Do you know? So it's like, it's not that you're just like saying, Oh, like Snapchat has a cool like feature where you can like send pictures or have conversations that delete after 24 like seconds or whatever, you know, you're like intending to buy them while making those same features and then like if they choose or don't choose to go with you then it's almost like you're scaling everything up to the point where you are already clearly the dominant player but now it's like i'm going to take what you have which yes is inherently business to create a similar product that can compete but what's not similar is that you know like the way that you're doing it. So I think it's yeah. like this scalability thing that is more so the argument. Oh, than yeah, it is yeah. like, yeah, I, you know I, what I'm I, talking I, about? Yeah. And you know, I think that like, God, this is such a wide conversation because yeah. <laughs> you, get, you get, um, you know, and, and I have some, I have certain conservative positions and I have a lot of liberal positions, both like in identity politics and economics, like on both sides, but you know, you tend to get the, the, more capitalist side of the argument that kind of points at your iPhone or whatever. And it's like, look at that. That is a end result of capitalism, you know, right there. And it's like, you know, that is true to an extent, but you know, the GPS system that was originally founded by the military, you know, the internet that it uses as a backbone, that was ARPANET. That was also founded by the military. Multi-touch screen technology was developed by the military. So much of this stuff was socially funded and then co-opted in the 90s by these tech corporations. You know, mm. yeah, they stitched it together and made it very aesthetically pleasing and made a marketplace for apps and whatnot. But, like, you know, let's be very real here. Like, the idea of intellectual property is kind of... You know, like, it's like, okay, like, how do you trace an idea to that extent? Like, do we go back to, you know, uh, Euclid in ancient Greece and we say, okay, we came with Euclidean geometry and we used, you know, geometry to mathematically lay out transistors on a circuit board. Like, how do you trace an intellectual property to that extent? You can't because people go through their life, they go to school, they go through the education system, they meet people. Like, you can never just attribute, like, okay, this phone is capitalism. It's like, no, it has like gone through hundreds of years of cultural development and how we organize things and how we categorize things. Yeah. And categorize things. So, and, and also just a lot of that technology was socially funded. So that, that's always my big counter to that. Yeah. I think technology, medicine, um, all of those things get like grants, funds, like the, people are con- like anything in academia really is like people are kind of finding uh, or like, fun- like, you know, professors at a university are like constantly writing grants and constantly trying to get funding because they have these ideas. I don't know. I don't contribute. I don't, I personally don't think that like any like economic philosophy drives like innovation. (laughs) (laughs) I think people drive innovation and I think like community, like people coming together to have an idea. It's so funny because it's like we attribute like, like in business, you have this person came up with this phenomenal idea and they worked hard enough to build this company. Um, and then like in science, and when you talk about like Nobel Prizes and stuff like that, then it's like, oh, okay, we can recognize that this person in America and then this person in Poland and then this person in Brazil, although they didn't talk to each other, they were all working on the same thing. So we're going to all give them the Nobel prize for like this thing because they you know what i mean like they're all working on the same idea despite not talking to each other yeah like yeah they're all like innovators of that so it's like i don't know it's like you can't really be like this is my intelligent property because there's no way to prove (laughs) that like like it's more so that you had the resources to make your innovation a, a thing Right. And not that like you were the person to think of it first. And even if you were, we all like, you don't know everything about it. Like you had to get someone else to piece these, all these things together. So it's like, 
does that make sense? Like we're all communities. So it's yeah, like, it yeah, takes, yeah. A, it takes other people to make company, it possible. Yeah. yeah. Like when I work at a company, I'm providing some kind of value to them that the person who founded the company obviously can't. Yep. I mean, they could do or can't do, but they hired me. I'm here. Right. I'm not here for no reason. So it's like, I'm contributing to making however that idea so, is supposed to be happen, right? So let me so yeah, let me let me ask you, and this gets into you know, this gets a little into my politics a bit if it's already not going. <laughs> but, you know, let, 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 let's set the stage here. Let let's say let's say we all worked at Target, right? Let's say all the managers didn't show up for a day, or all the workers didn't show up for the day. Which one do you think? Which one do you think would be able to work better? You know, because ultimately to me, it seems pretty clear that, you know, the workers are kind of the ones that really keep everything afloat. You know, managers have to deal with stressful stuff like, you know, customers that are, you know, angry or whatnot. But at the same time, it's the workers that are actually doing most of the stuff. And that's been the, the argument about capitalism, you know, since Karl Marx's writing back in the 1860s and 70s or whatever, that like, you know, the capitalist just brings the money, the, the original capitalists, not, you know, like right now we live in a weird time where it's hard to even trace where that money comes from. But usually it's just wealth that is being reused to generate more wealth. And just because you have wealth, A, doesn't mean you earned it because you could have inherited it. And B, doesn't mean that your money is productive just by itself. Because if you, you know, if you set money out in a field somewhere, is it going to produce something? No. Whereas if you get a bunch right. of workers together with materials, <laughs> that does produce something, whether or not you do have money, you know. So that's always been kind of the lens that I look at. I know that's kind of like a like a base level like Marxist argument, but you know. Well, I mean, I don't th- I don't know if it's Marx, but like, well, yes, but like, no, because I mean, like, the definition of money, right, is like this widget, whether it's like seashells or like flip flops, like whatever we want to agree that money is, it is. But it's only that once we like we're at a store and we're trading it, right? It's not that like a dollar is just a piece of paper, right? Yeah. I mean, it has like George Washington on it, it has a number one on it, it has the Federal Reserve like number identification stuff on it. Right. But at the end of the day, it's like a piece of paper. Yeah, it's cut into that dollar. The store, yeah. Trade it. That it's money, right? So it's like if you don't, if you're not using money, then you just have pieces of paper right yeah yeah i mean like cut into a dollar bill and let me see how the value falls out of it like is that like you know where is yeah it? that's what Karl marx is he's saying he's like i don't see the value like and he comes to the point where he you know he's just saying it is a socially relative thing based off of where you take that dollar and how it's accepted um you know and you know he talks about i don't know he, he, he talks about a lot of stuff that's capital one two and three are all passive books but they're very very interesting because he, you know, notices how, you know, capitalism tends to propel itself further and further, you know, like, I'll, I'll never forget when one of my friends, like, on Facebook in high school, he posted a photo of his car, and he's like, man, I worked really hard for this car, like, you know, people that say the system doesn't work for them are stupid, and like, in the back of my mind the whole time, I'm like, dude, you like, live in one of the wealthiest counties in the country, and went to one of the wealthiest high schools in the city. <laughs> like, you, that's the whole point is that you come from a place, and that's where I think the idea of privilege is a very real one. You, you come from a place where you are given certain access points into kind of bettering yourself that are more easily reached than other people. That's not to say that, like, you know, somebody that lives in poverty can't overcome that. But it's just saying that, like, we're... They have to overcome it, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like, they have to overcome it. That's, like, that's what we're saying. Right. And I think these tech companies, like, to get back to the main point, these tech companies are making it so much harder, you know, for for us to kind of solve that issue. And I think they're really, you know... I, ho- I, I hope the government comes up with a way, but my fear is that tech companies move so quickly and innovate so fast that government kind of lags behind in terms of first its understanding, but then also in terms of its ability to write legislation. Like I've, you know, there's, there's political bloggers that I've read about and theorists that say that like, you know, we're very close at hand to 
the government kind of giving way to corporations and corporations really kind of being the new government in a sense, you know? Mm, Yeah. I think, I think they made that point in the congressional hearing. I think it was when they were asking uh, the CEO of Google and they were saying that like in 2006, they um, like had this philosophy about data and user data and like how they collect it. And then once they acquired um, some kind of data company, like around 2016 or something, like 10 years later or something like that, it was like um, they, they, like, they said that they weren't going to merge the data and then they merged the data. And so <laughs> it was like, I think she was like trying to argue that like, you know, they can like pay any fine. They can pay anything because at this point they just are just so big that it's like, Oh, okay, well we'll just pay whatever that fine is. And I think they brought that up when they had brought like the banks there too, like a banks a long time ago. I think I watched something like that. The stuff that they're doing is, is, is just an an insane that, that they're even getting away with it because, you know, I look at mobile phone games and like how addictive they are. Like a lot of those game companies hire behavioral psychologists and they know exactly the point at which you're probably likely to close the app. So they'll make something shiny happen on screen or, you know, do an EXP doubler for the day or whatever. And they know what your habits are, you know, habitually. And same thing goes for websites. You know, let's say you were on Facebook or you're scrolling through Instagram, not even just liking or clicking on something, but just hovering over something for a little bit longer period of time. They can tell that you're more interested in that, and they aggregate that into a data pool about you and a data set, you know. And I'm not one to say. Like, I'm not a conspiracy theory, but I'm not a conspiracy. <laughs> no, no. Um, I'm not one to say that like tech companies, you know, control us entirely. But I think in terms of like you know our attention spans, like they are modifying that. Microsoft published a study a few years ago saying that the average attention span in humans has gone down by a second or two when we focus on something we do focus more strongly but the amount of time at which we focus is shorter and i definitely oh yeah it definitely is i will click out of something in no time (laughs) like yeah like if it's like slightly more or like if a youtube intro is just too long like if they're just like hey guys i'm so sorry i've been out for a couple of weeks i had the flu and then this thing i don't want to watch the video anymore like click log out let me find who's actually just gonna get straight to the point exactly Um, it's kind of like kind of like news too you click on a news article and you read that first line it's like you're gonna get to the point you're gonna you're gonna grab my attention this first line if not then gonna move on to the next one yeah you know i don't i don't know if it's like because I have so little free time or that like I just have a short attention span because sometimes I'm just like I just want to find the answer I don't have a lot of free time to really find the answer so I just need you to tell me what it is well, I don't yeah. want to watch like I don't like I don't want to be mean and say I don't care about your life but I literally just <laughs> don't care yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah well and I think I think we're developing this condition you know like that again, we live in the information age, and we have to have the information on everything. When we're sitting and watching a movie, and we're talking to somebody else about, oh yeah, wasn't that actor in this one movie? We can't, or at least I can't, just like let that sit and like not know, right? Like we have the access to look everything up, so we immediately look everything up. And you know, a lot of times recently, like I've become, I've been trying to become more mindful of like, okay, I'm opening Facebook, and I'm knowingly going to Facebook, whereas like. I have a habitual response to just open a Facebook tab and close it without even like knowing why, you know, but like oh, also yeah. with information mm-hmm. of like, why do I, do I really need to know what that actor was? I having? do it all the time. You like just circle through all your apps. You're just like, okay, let me open up Twitter real quick. And then let me yeah. open up Facebook and then let that's, me open up Instagram. And then isn't that, let me close isn't it. that the worst? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're just like, you're just like, wait, what, what did I just do that for? You don't really have a reason. No one messaged you, but you know, I do hate when apps try to bring me back. Like I honestly hate that. I yeah. I turn off all of my notifications for apps unless it's like a messaging app, like Messenger. I have that notification turned on. So each yep. time when I get on Facebook, I'm on Messenger. I'm not even on the app. But it's like a lot of times they'll just come up with notifications that you really can't even turn off. Oh yeah. Of where like it's like oh yeah like so and so posted a picture and it's like 
okay, did they tag me in it or no? Yeah. No, they didn't. Oh, okay. So why do I care? Notifications because they know by having that on, like they're they're much more likely to keep you on the platform and advertise to you. Same thing, with right? Me. It's like some notifications that you just can't turn off. So it's like I can't find which one it is where it's like it doesn't belong to me. Yeah. But I want to turn that one off, but I can't find it. So let me just turn all of them off. Yeah. <laughs> so like just don't yeah. tell me about anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's which sucks because like a lot of social media. Pre- pro platforms are like trying to like connect you to people. And it's like, now I have a delayed response replying to everyone because I just don't want to be told about Molly posting a photo <laughs> that has not nothing to do with me. Well, it's a delayed response, right. but is it that bad if it's delayed? That's my question because I'm on discord almost all day because I work in it on a computer. And so I can like, that's the thing is it's so easy to communicate that like, I'll just control T to open a new tab, discord.com or have the app running. Mm. And me and a bunch of friends will just keep talking nonstop. And I'm like, like, yeah, we're just shooting the shit, but do I really need to be right now? Like, it just takes up so much. Like, just the influx of information, whether it's communicational or just informational, it's just, like, so much that when you, like, I don't know, when I have a day where I'm kind of just like, dude, I don't really need to, like, check the news today or, you know, maybe check the news, but, like, you know, there's, like, a compulsivity to communication um and there's also like neurotic elements too like i think i think uh you know psychologists and psychiatrists are going to be having field in fact i know they're having field days right now like just becoming aware that like you know i had a friend that one time was dating this girl and he saw her on snapchat that her last story was from a certain place and he was like wait a second like oh my god and like she wasn't doing anything sketchy, but just like knowing that extra information caused that kind of paranoia. Whether oh my or God. Not. I hate when people do that. I hate when people time replies. Don't, don't do that. I don't yeah. like when people like, Oh, you took like five minutes to reply. Okay. What does that mean? Right. And read we're saying. like, Oh, I saw you were in this one place. Let yeah. me turn that off. I don't know how you saw that. <laughs> let me go in there and turn it off. Cause you're not going to be like, like monitoring where I go. I hate what? <laughs> and I hate when people bring it up to me. Yeah. I mean, you're like, I get back to you when I get back to you. Okay. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> read receipts are the ultimate example of this, right? You look at them. Most people don't like them. They'll turn them off. And why is that? It's because it's adding like a weird extra psychological layer to just basic communication. Like, Oh, I saw that you left me on red. Like now I have a just reason to be angry at you. And it's like, Maybe I read it and I was like on a train or yeah. I, I think it. it dives into like your insecurities. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Like cause you start thinking extra into it, like, oh oh my god, they didn't reply. Cause that means that like they like hated what I say, they hate me, or it's like what if I just like someone distracted me in real life and then I closed my phone and then I just haven't replied yet? Yeah. Or and then I just forgot. So if I like, I keep my receipts on. It doesn't really matter to me. So like, uh-huh. I, I will repl- like if I ever if I don't see it, or if I do see it, and then you message me again, I'm like, oh my god, sorry, I like forgot to reply. Like I have my phone always on me, I guess, but like I'm not yeah. really on my phone. So yeah. sometimes like I'll just be in the moment, and like I may have my phone on the table, I may have it in my hand, but like I'm just not looking at it. Or yep. if I am, I forgot that I have do not disturb on. Yeah. I, so like I'll get back to people when I get back to them and then like yep. but a lot of times I don't like my phone to blow up. I'm like, oh my god, who's texting? Me? <laughs> <laughs> well, when they see that you're on active on me- messenger and they texted you 10 hey, minutes. How come you haven't read my message? <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh right. Oh yeah. <laughs> I yeah, I noticed that too. Like I'm like, oh they're online. And then you message them and they're like get immediately offline. You're like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. What I do? <laughs> Well, it's like, never, right? Like this is, this is where I think like technology is obviously fascinating, but it is like fascinating because in a sense, what we've done is kind of made magic real, but just more boring when you think about it. Like mm, yeah. where you look into a smart mirror or whatever, or even like fucking Snapchat filters. That is like some Harry Potter shit where you could like see what you would look like as a dog or 
you know, even just the concept of a telephone, when you actually think about it theoretically, is very profound because it distances you geographically from a person, but you can still communicate with a person. Like that 200 years ago was magic. Like, and we've basically, we're now dealing with the ramifications of these systems that are accumulating so quickly. We don't know how they're affecting us, really. We're starting to find out. We don't know how they're scaling monetary inequality. Like, there's just, again, this is why I'm so interested in technology, because it's, it, it, it's, we are living in a whole new, like, plane of existence, quite literally. And I think, like, you really have to think through how you deal with those problems critically, or else you are going to be swept along either in some political ideology that somehow gets propagated to you through a YouTube algorithm, or, you know, big data is going to harvest all the information about you, and then insurance companies are going to be, you know, uh, using that against you. Like, uh, th there's examples where insurance companies are now going to start looking potentially at people's Facebook profiles and Snapchats and Instagrams to see, you know, okay, you're partying on a Friday night. That makes you more of a liability to us, so we're going to raise your rates. Or, you know, a smart car, a smart car might notice you speed a lot, so it's going to report that, you know. We're putting data points on all these aspects of behavior that were never datafied, I guess, for lack of a better mm, term. Yeah. Um, and we don't know who's in control of that how they're going to use that against us. They say they're going to use it for us, right? Like in all the presentations today, all the companies were like, we're using it to better the customer experience, right? And it's like, okay, the customer experience is like, I get a tailored ad for me to buy a fucking Pokemon card pack. Like, is that like, I would have known that I wanted that anyway. Like in my experience, <laughs> but on the other side of it, like, you know, Amazon also hides prices from you sometimes um, depending on, how long you've had something in your cart. Um, or, you know, if you're in a certain economic class, sometimes they'll raise or lower the prices without you really knowing. Like, we just look at a price and just, you know, assume that it's the right one. You go into a physical store, like, the price isn't going to change because you're, you know, a white dude or whatever, or, like, you come from the middle or lower class. Whereas now online, like, again, it, it's it, it's so crazy because it affects so much of our life. Like, everybody's ordering stuff on Amazon. Yeah gets you know insurance everybody posts about politics on social media like every aspect of our life is becoming quantified qualified and analyzed and it's really up to us to stop that from getting crazily out of control but to round out this conversation you know you had the those four big tech ceos yep. out of the four um you know with google facebook amazon apple which out of the four are would you say is like the most dangerous? Like where you look at them and you're like, uh, this is a monopoly or this is going to be a monopoly. That's very you tough. I mean, um, I would, yeah, if I had to rank it, I, I, I guess, I don't know who the exact number one would be. I think Tim cook, he didn't really need to be there for much of it. So he'd probably be four. So yeah, Apple's fourth, not, not the worst, not the best. Um, Amazon's probably third. Because they're definitely, I mean, they've got like third right options. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think. Facebook yeah, think about who's in front of them, though. Facebook and Facebook Google. And Google. <laughs> I think are tied for first. I don't know. Yeah. Is above the other, but um, I don't know. The Cambridge Analytica scandal basically, I don't want to say got Trump elected because that's not true, but it definitely helped because Facebook is a vector for political advertising, right? Like I can post mm -hmm. a crazy story about something that did or did not happen downtown that may be from the far left or the far right side, and I can propagate that and know that so many more people are on Facebook that will likely see that, that informs their views, informs their rhetoric. Um, Amazon just sells you stuff. Now, they, they kind of do the backbone of a lot of stuff, but they're not really as... I don't know how to word it. Google and Facebook are so much more ideologically manipulated and have their hands dirty. Whereas Amazon's just like, okay, yeah, like we delist, you know, a third party marketplace sale because we think it's not the right cost. And so we're going to outcompete them or we're going to buy up this company. Like they do stuff like that, which is bad enough. And they have worker violations where people can't go to the bathroom when they need to work. And, you know, all sorts of other stuff. But, like, when you look at, like, I think what's accelerating cultural decay or cultural malaise or just cultural upheaval, most of it's being done on a Facebook or Google 
Facebook-esque service, whether it's Snapchat, Instagram, I guess Snapchat's not owned by Facebook, you know, Instagram, Facebook, WhatsApp, Google, YouTube. So I think that's, I think that's, and, and Google just also controls like where you're going on the internet for the most part. When you Google things, you're kind of relying on a non-biased perspective to guide you to the right or wrong in search engine results. So yeah, I'd say for me, it, for me, it's, it's not an easy one to answer, but yeah. I would say that YouTube is almost like hypnotic. Cause you start one place and then you're like 10 videos deep and the That's recommended. Why you don't, you, yeah. You stop looking at those suggested videos. Cause like you have my attention, but right. I need to back out of here before. Right. And well, this is why they say, this is why they say like a lot of um like the YouTubers will say that like the like subscriber count doesn't matter. Um, because the way that the YouTube algorithm really works is that it tailors videos to you based on what they think you'll watch the longest yeah. to keep you on the platform. Sure so thing. like, just cause I'm subscribed to like, I don't know who's a, a famous YouTuber, like James Charles, right? If I never watch his videos, then like, I'm not, they're not going to recommend it to me despite me saying, Hey, I want to see his video. <laughs> or something yeah so like they're gonna be like well you you only watch joe rogan or you only watch like you know like reality shows i don't you don't watch james so we're not gonna suggest that to you you know yeah and that's why they have to then say like hey turn on my notifications so that you know that i post you know so that's Mm -hmm. that's why subscribers doesn't mean well i mean it still means a lot Right, but it doesn't mean. I honestly, much. my my perspective is usually the lower the subscriber count, the more interesting the content is for me. Like, Ooh, um, hot take. Because, like, yeah, I watch Shane Dawson drama sometimes, like very rarely. <laughs> <laughs> really? That's like that's like interesting from like a sociological perspective of like, oh my god, this guy's psyche is collapsing because he's literally. <laughs> The immediate emotional response on Instagram. And again, it goes back to fucking Instagram, right? Like Shane Dawson's whole thing. Oh my God, he hasn't made a tweet in like a month. And oh my God, he was on the last thing we saw was him like yelling about that girl about James Charles and like saying, oh my God, all over and over and over. It's like, it's like technology's fine, but if you don't have the emotional readiness to like, you know, put down the phone when you're having moments like that, like that's just, I don't know, it's just. Like it's like why you know it makes sense why people watch because it's like holy shit this is crazy what's going on I think it's crazy because like anything can go viral right so like like anything can just like occur like I had a TikTok video that went viral right and so like oh shit that was like crazy experience for me there was like tons of comments. And so, like, every time you look at your phone, there's something there. And so you kind of get hooked in it. But yeah. not only that, like, w- mine is for something good. Like, it was a, f- like, slightly funny video. I don't really think it was that funny. Like, I just was trying to, like, figure out how to use the app. But it was funny to people. So, but, like, the comments are also funny. But, like, you'll randomly have someone that, like, comes in your comment section and it just says something negative about you. Yeah. And then it's like, yeah. What? Yeah. And you don't really realize how much the negative comment really sticks like, out. Sticks out compared to yeah. literally everything else. Like everything else could be like laughing, like hilarious. Yeah. But like it's just that one negative person, you're just like, yo, what? And what's it's going true. on with you? And it's true because like you look at um, you might follow some people on Twitter and you go through their comments of a post and it's always like you know funny and people replying to them and saying how much they like them and all that but you always find people and celebrities retweeting someone who said something negative in their comments and it's just like yeah man you know it's easy to say (laughs) i don't ever want to be a youtuber because it's like you know, you could have the best production values. You, you'd have the coolest content, most interesting stuff to talk about. But then there's going to be one guy that's like, yeah, and you say like a lot. And then you'd go back and be like, 
Oh shit, I do say that a lot. Yeah, oh. you're like, oh my god, I say it like too much. Or <laughs> like, I say um a lot. You're, and then you're like, totally fine with your personality until somebody points it out. And like, people just don't, I mean, people do that in real life, I guess. But like, when you just have so much of it kind of just like, you know, just yeah. going Yeah, or like, you're just like, oh, your hairline's not straight. Oh shit. Like, damn. <laughs> <And> next- <laughs> you're like, damn, wait, what? Oh my god. <laughs> hey, that's one of the worst things you can hear. Fuck that noise. Because that's when you that's when you like pull out your phone and turn on that front camera and you're like, hold up, hold up. And then you go <laughs> Yeah, you're like, wait, hold on. When I left the barbershop, they said it was straight. Like I looked at it, I thought it was good. And then I get on I get on on TikTok and you know my head is tilted slightly to the left, and then it looks like my hairline is up on one side versus the other and you're like wait yeah. actually no it's and not. then you make the phone call to your barber you're like weren't you just here like, yeah but you know i gotta get yeah, you're like fixed. we gotta talk we gotta talk <laughs> <laughs> you got me going out sad speaking of going out sad unfortunately this is the end of the episode if you'd enjoyed the podcast please subscribe and thank you for listening to the what you have for lunch podcast